0: All right, going to continue previewing the college football playoff. Ralph Russo, Associated Press. I want to go a little big picture before we actually go into some of these games. Sure. Um, Jim Harbaugh, kind of where everything is right now. Do you believe this has been a real distraction for this team in this game? And are we about to see his last,
1: maybe last two games as a college football head coach? So as far as distractions, I mean, this is a team that already played through some pretty sig- significant distractions between him being suspended at the beginning of the year, suspended at the end of the year, the scandal at the end of the year with cheating, uh, with the sign-stealing allegations. They have also sort of been through the process of, hey, Coach Harbaugh might be interested in the NFL. Um, a lot of these guys, it's their last ride anyway. A lot of these significant players are right. upperclassmen who are probably going. So I, I don't think that at this point, for this team, should be a problem. Yeah, right. they've sort of lived it, and they've lived through all kinds of turmoil this year. As far as whether this is his last go, it, it's hard not to think so. But I always come back to this: it takes two to tango. Here. Absolutely, yeah. Somebody has to want him. I think you know. Reports today that he aligned himself with Don Yee, who's a significant NFL agent. He has. Done things similar to that with agents who have NFL connections before that happened last year. Was it with Don Yee? But was another agent. Harbaugh will never say he has an agent, so that's always a little complicated of what that relationship (laughs) is. And even from the agent side and talking to people who who kind of been through the process with him, like it's not it's not a formalized relationship like like most coaches have with an agent. Um, But yeah, I I can't imagine it's not significant if he, again, has some kind of relationship with a guy like Don Yee. My question is, um, does he let an agent actually act like an agent, advocating for him, looking for jobs, negotiating, trying to be, again, an advocate for him? Because again, I know that's been a little bit of an issue over the last couple of years when he's gone through this process. He likes to advocate for himself and he likes to be in charge of the process. Which I think sometimes undercuts him a little bit in the process. He is a great NFL coach. His resume is terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in the four years he was with the, the 49ers, what, three championship games in a Super Bowl? so. Yeah. And also, something that should be noted, he was he took over a 49ers team that was in the dumps. Mm-hmm. Like They immediately got good when he went there. So, it, you know, the, the, the issue is not his ability to coach. It's his ability to sort of have a boss. You know, he wore out his welcome with the 49ers. People understand that. He is a, he's a fascinating character, for, but you hear different types of stories. People can be totally in on him. Sure. If the people who like Harbaugh love Harbaugh, loyal like nobody's business. You talked to Frank Gore, the former NFL running back. I talked to him for, about Harbaugh a couple of years ago. He, he just gushes. I think the best coach he's ever had. Sherone Moore's crying like he passed away after the game. Yeah, I mean, I mean so the people who like Harbaugh love Harbaugh, but I also think there are people who work for him, and he creates a bit of a tense environment. That are like, you know, this is much. Sure. And if you're his boss, you know, in college football, this is no slight to Ward Manuel, the athletic director, or even the president of the university it's not the same as having a boss in the NFL, a GM who kind of dictates, here's our personnel, here's the people you're going to work with. Anyway, long-winded way of me saying, like, I just think that it's it's a little more complicated than just, does he want an NFL job? Right. I, I do get the sense, though, that there are, you know, he's done such a good job that there might be some teams that might want to buy in.
0: Yeah. Take us a little bit further. I don't know how much you know or how many details you have. I've never heard this about the having an agent but not really wanting to say have an agent. Does that mean he wants to discuss the terms with ownership of a potential hire or he wants to state how much control he's going to have in
1: inside of a franchise with the draft? I mean, what like how? I think, what are we talking about? I think the former there, the idea that at a certain point in the process, I, I my understanding has been that he but let's put it this way. I think there's a there's there's a thought that he would like to skip part of the process because he has already been a head coach. Sure. Yeah. And right, like, are you interested in me? All right. Let me talk to the owner. I, I don't know if I, like I don't know if he understands the idea of, or necessarily like is down for the idea of going through an extensive interview sure. process. That seemed to be the issue with the Vikings a couple of years ago, okay. where I think he felt like he was going to be the head coach there and going for an interview that was more of like, hey, we want you, you want us, let's make this happen, <laughs> as opposed to, no, we, wanna, we want to interview you. What yeah. is your vision? So I think that has been a bit of a stumbling block for him getting back. And you know, again, I, I, I also wonder to a certain degree, like he does love Michigan. And I think Michigan in some ways, its love for him maybe has grown even more throughout this scandal. Which is so odd because you would feel
0: like you're kind of almost coming to that fork in the road of, hey, this has been great. Not sure we can keep going down this exact path. We love the winning part of it, yeah.
1: but we're also dealing with a lot of extra over here. So two elements to that, right? It, it's yes, there is like boy, like there's a lot going on here. And maybe we would like to relieve ourselves from some of this drama. I, I think there's also an element of your supporters and your fans feeling to a certain degree like you've been attacked. Right, like they have, like Michigan has been under attack, and your guy has been under attack, sure. which I think tends to rally them around him. Hundred percent, yep. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's a very, it's a fascinating time with Michigan. I really don't think it, it, no matter what happens on Monday with Alabama, and if they play in another game, I don't think it impacts the, the team on the field. Uh, I really don't. I, I, but, but as soon as they are done playing, as soon as their games are over the drama gets even more interesting right. to a certain degree on what's next. So almost a little bit of the old Bobby Bowden rumors
0: as far as the interviewing and taking another job with Bobby in Alabama who basically said, yeah, I don't have to interview for that. Look what I've done. They wanted an interview. It fell apart. Um, and it almost sounds too like, it, I haven't heard it stated that way, but I love the way that you began to put it, and that is that this has almost brought all of Michigan a little bit closer together. Like every, the administration could be sitting there saying, "Not only is he a great coach, but our fans are like the groundswell of support is is generating even more than it has in the last
1: x amount of years. When we've been going to the playoffs, winning Big Ten titles. So here's the other part of it, too, Colt. And again, I understand. Like you know, can I be a little blue here? He can be a pain in the ass. Oh yeah, right. I mean, like, there's no doubt he can be a bit of a pain in the ass. But even with that, what what administrations, what administrators fear most in college sports right now is having to change your program. The fact of the matter is, with him, they are winning. Right. As great as Sharon Moore has been, and I would assume he would be most likely the 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 next man up there. You don't know what that's going to look like when you when you elevate him, if you elevate him. Like, coaching changes in, in this part of college, if you're having success, the last thing you want to do is have a coaching change. Sure. So no matter what baggage Harbaugh comes with, you would, kind of, I think you would prefer the status quo. Okay, so this game against Alabama, is
0: the coaching difference that important? Is this going to come down to one team having more playmakers? What do, what do you kind of view as the ultimate item
1: that will tip the scales in this game? I, I look at it as playmakers. Um, I wonder what, like Michigan, you know, you're the X's and O's guy more than I do, but Michigan sort of does what it does. Yes. Right? I, I just don't know if Michigan is going to come out and come up with a new wrinkle or things or, or do things differently because they need to accommodate, hey, we can't quite make this work against Alabama, so let's try something different. I think they're going to try to do what they always do, which is, you know, I'll steal from my, my, my buddy, Ross Dellinger, who uh, writes for Yahoo Sports. He had a great line. He's like, you know, Michigan, they just block and tackle you to death. Yep. Well, well, I just don't know if you can do that with Alabama where their guys are as big and strong and fast as your right. guys. And in a game where I find both offenses and, you know, to, to sort of like, like, where are the big plays going to come from? I look at a guy like Jalen Milrow and say, like, there's a guy who can find a big play where there is none. Right. Can JJ McCarthy do that? I think he can, but I don't know if he is the spectacular athlete that Jalen is. So, you know, that that's that keeps jumping out to me. Now, the other part of it is like Jalen is still not a polished guy. No. Yeah. Like there is a like I I can see an avenue. I could see a game where Milrow is. 11 for 23 maybe has a big play or two, but is also like just not that efficient. And that efficiency ends up being, because again, if you're not efficient against Michigan, they're going to drag you into the deep water. So again, I I look at where the big plays are going to come from, see a few more opportunities through playmakers for big plays with Alabama. Right. Also on the defensive side with those two corners and Dallas Turner. And think like, yeah, that's the difference in a game that I think will be fairly close. Give me the team that has a few more guys who are elite difference makers. It is
0: interesting because you look at, I mean, plus 17 in the turnovers, I think Michigan has 39 penalties all year. Yeah, they just never beat themselves. I mean, they, they've, they've only turned the ball over on offense five times all year. Yeah, and, and three insane. of those
1: came in one game against Bowling Green, which, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I assume that they were probably cutting it loose a little more then because they weren't too afraid of what it, is it that, makes against Bowling Green. It's that weird back and forth of, it
0: feels like you have to force Michigan to be an ugly team, and they just never are, mm-hmm. but Alabama can force you to have to do things to match what they are,
1: and who can yeah. sort of Meet in that middle, I guess, will decide the game. And we talked about it on, on my show when you were nice enough to come on. You know, as much as we we talk about Milrose, you know, it's a, sort of the variance there, maybe not as efficient, he hasn't been a turnover machine. He had the game against Arkansas. I guess he lost a couple of fumbles, but I think he's only thrown six picks and only yep. two of those have been in the second half of the season. So as much as he makes some scatter shot throws, you'll see him make misses where you go, whoa, you, you kind of got to hit that. Yeah. He's also not throwing it to the other team. I, but I guess my point would be: when does that start? Like sure. he's still. I think. He, I think that is still part of his DNA right. at this point as a player, right? I don't think we could rule out if I'm if I'm asked which player is which quarterback is more likely to have the two or three turnover game. It's probably Jalen, but but you know. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. You know, it was McCarthy who threw two, sure. two big sixes last year yep. in the playoff, which Michigan never recovered from. All
0: right, so we are we are in New Orleans covering Sugar Bowl which is a just as interesting of a matchup for the total opposite end of the spectrum reasons. Yeah. We feel like this is going to be back and forth, offense explosive plays, NFL receivers all over the place for both of these teams. Where's the real advantage in this one? Is is it with one of the offenses? Is it with the Texas front? Is it coaching scheme where who has
1: the real advantage in any department in this game? So I think it's the Texas, like, is good. Listen, you guys gave Washington the award, yep. right? For for the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in the country. So it, it's created an interesting dynamic here. I don't think the two sides mean to be trash talking each other, but I do think that they have they have in the interviews. There's this odd sense of, well, they won this award. They think they're awesome, and Washington guy, that being Texas thinking about sure. Washington. And then the tech the Washington guys keep getting asked, Well, you haven't seen anything like Sweat and Murphy, you haven't seen anything like Sweat and Murphy. So they're like, you know, we're pretty good. <laughs> like, <laughs> like like we yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. Right. Like they those guys are good, but we'll figure it out. And I sense from Sweat and Murphy, there's a little bit of like, Yeah, those guys are all right, but we'll be okay. So we have we have become used to, by the way, Aaron Taylor and our Joe Moore Award Committee
0: of being a massive piece of ammunition heading into the playoffs. It's, it's weird, happened almost when every Georgia year. In Michigan, it was. A oh, Georgia, years ago, th- yeah, and that was it, Kirby had it everywhere. He was talking about it. Alabama had it with Quinn and Williams when Oklahoma won it. And it's like all the Alabama fans are like, you picked this trash offensive line. I'm like, well, you guys didn't have to go against Quinn and Williams or we would have seen just how bad you were too (laughs) in blocking him because no one blocked him that year. So it has become – it's almost nerve-wracking. As soon as we give it away, it's like, please, God, just hold up in the playoffs. But that's, you know,
1: it's kind of what it's all about. So it's Sweat and Murphy. You know, again, Parker Brelsford has, you know, been a really great, nice player. Moving into center from guard for for Washington, but I also find myself thinking, I don't know how you make up for being 275 right. pounds against a guy who's 265 uh, in in sweat. I will say this though, unlike Michigan, where we talked about with Alabama, hey Michigan, they're kind of going to do what they do. I don't know if they're going to get too outside of their comfort zone to kind of come up with creative solutions. I think Washington. Is more likely to be that. I, I could see Grub and DeBoer saying, like, coming up with something a little different. Oh yeah. How are we going to go about this? Hey man, we'll just attack the edges. Like we're we're going to get downhill, but we're not going to run at those guys. We're not going. We're not going to do it. Not to mention the fact that that's also a, a group that is very comfortable just saying we'll throw it forty-five times. Yes. G- good luck staying on the field with us. If you have to defend 80 plays. Right. We'll see how good you are, Sweat and Murphy, if you need to defend 80 plays. So that's, to me, the interesting matchup. I don't know if physically Washington's O-line can quite hold up because, not, and again, not because they're not good, but who has? Sure. Most teams just give up the run game against Texas. It's one of the reasons why their passing defense stats are a little inflated because a lot of these teams are just like, you know what, what are we doing here? Right. Just forget it. I don't know if Washington will necessarily do that because, again, I, I sense that they're creative, creative enough to come up with some ways to run the ball. But it, it also comes back down to like sort of the Mike Leach thing. Like balance is not run past. Balance is making sure everybody gets a touch. Yeah, Like all your playmakers get a touch. So I'll be interested to in see how that works out for Washington.
0: I'm interested in, in getting your thoughts on when you look at these four teams, I think this is as diverse of a group that we've had as far as as many or all teams having similar chances to actually win a national title. Do you have, is there a pecking order for you as far as a clear cut? This team should win it, might not, should, better than the others, or like, how even are the four teams for you in your mind?
1: Listen, I, you know, I, I try not to even answer just by my opinion. I just look at Vegas, like what the lines are here. It's the smallest combined spreads for a playoff. Matching the smallest combined spread since we had Georgia, Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl and Alabama, Clemson in right. the Sugar Bowl 2017, I think it was. It was yeah. yeah, from Georgia, Alabama to play for the national championship. And so there's only six points to, you know, su- separating these two teams. I think uh, Texas, I think, is still about a four and a half point favorite. Maybe it's fluctuated a little bit. And uh, uh, Michigan's a one and a half point favorite. So I guess that sort of says it all, right? I mean, you have two pretty close games, you know, a pecking order, I think Alabama is going to win the national championship. So I guess I think Alabama is the best and I think Texas is going to win. So I guess I think Alabama is second, but you know, you can't get away from the fact that like, wow, what did Alabama do against Auburn? Why did that happen? And why did they struggle against an Arkansas team? Like, you know, as as well as good as the playmakers are, and as good as Nick Saban is, and if I give Nick Saban a month, it's going to be hard for me to bet against Nick Saban. Like they are the they are still the team that we saw a year, which is sure. which is not this highly functional operating you know war machine that we've seen in the past. We talked about some of the mistakes and things like that. And while the turnover margin is good, Alabama has been not as bad as last year with the penalties, but they've had a, more than a few games where like. Penalties kind of mount up, yep. and they've had and they've been glitchy. They've just been glitchy in the way and not as clean as we've expected in the path in the past. So that's where I come back to the idea of like, yeah, I guess Michigan. I could see Michigan. Oh yeah, them making more mistakes. Michigan playing that nice, clean game, kicking a couple of field goals toward the end, and winning twenty to fourteen. Like I just, I could see that happening. So uh, you know, it's funny with Washington and Texas. You know, Washington just has this skill of winning. So I do think if you get them in a close game, good luck. <laughs> right? because, because history suggests that they're going to figure it out yep. in a close game. I couldn't see a possibility, though, where, where Texas puts their foot on gas against Washington. That, that That defensive line does become a bit much. They really have some things working offensively. The biggest thing I would say with Washington, Texas is this. Texas has had red zone issues all year. Again, you on my show kind of yep. went into some of why because of the things they like to do motion-wise and the field gets smaller there. If that is a problem Monday, that's what keep, keeps Washington in the game. I think Texas will move it, but if you if Texas has got to kick a couple of field goals or they get antsy and they go on a fourth down and all of a sudden Washington gets that fourth down stop, now all of a sudden I could see a situation where Texas has 530 yards but only 28 points. Yeah. You're not beating Washington kicking field goals because they're going to get
0: yeah. – they're, they're going to score 24 by default. I, mean, I, I think it's so. Gonna happen. I,
1: yeah. I think so.
0: All right. So, so that's kind of the playoff. I did want to get one more sort of big picture question. Yeah. In. Um, there are folks – I think we all foresee it going to this new place, and now you get people that are saying this new tectonic shift is coming soon. Big news is going to happen in the next whatever, two, three, eight weeks. In college football, we know we're going to 12 next year. If it's going where we all think it's going, Ralph, how easy or difficult is that
1: to actually happen? When when you say that, something that looks a little more professional, where we're actually paying – Yeah, and wherever
0: you think it's going next, because I know where I think it's going next and where other people think it's going next, I don't know where you think it'll be. If you think it's going to be SEC Big Ten and another conference is going away or they try to drag a few conferences with them and they –
1: take that next step. I still think we're a little bit away from that. I think I think we're probably more years away from that because I think they have to figure out I think before you understand where the plates move as far as conferences and teams and alignments and we, whether we do a super league I think it's more important to figure out okay, what's the structure and the relationship between schools and players. Right? Is that going to look a little bit more like a professional model where they're employees? Is it something in between employee and what we have now, where they're getting paid? There's licensing licensing agreements, sure. but they're not quite employees because we get some federal protection. To, to, I, I think until you have that sorted out, uh, what will transferring look like? Because again, if you give them, if you treat them more like employees. Well, now you can limit their move, control some things. Yeah, you—that's yeah. th- what the coaches talk about. You know, this all a couple of years ago when I sat. The last time I got a chance to sit down with Saban, like, you know, he made headlines talking about Jimbo that year, and he's made some. But ultimately, what he was saying is, listen, we're caught in between college and professional. And in there, in that, like we're sort of half pregnant here, right. right? Like, and and it creates a situation where we just like the coaches, they just want control. You want to pay them, fine, pay them. But if we and if we pay them, that allows us to get a, a, a handle on our rosters. Yeah, we can give them something that looks like a contract, so at least that. Hey, you want to come here for only one year, and you want to be able to opt out after one year? That's fine. You get X amount. If you want to, but if you want to stay here for two years, you get Y amount. So maybe that convinces you to give up your transferability to two years or three years. Uh, I think once we figure that out, now all of a sudden, you can think about the next step, which is, okay, the Big Ten and the SEC have all the money. That means they can do these things. They I can be a little more aggressive when it comes to paying players and things along those lines. And then we sort out the bigger picture landscape. The last thing I'll add with that is, then you also can determine: Does the NCAA have a role in this? Does football break away? Uh, again, what do the lawyers and the and the politicians think about that when it comes to antitrust? That could slow down some of this. So I think the model for what the players, what the relationship with the players is, has to come first, and then we can figure out how the schools and conferences want to sort themselves.
0: So, just last one, quick do you ever foresee it getting all the way down that path where it's just employee status? Because I I feel like that's a little bit more of the doomsday opinion that some people have, because then they'll throw at you, well, then they wouldn't even have to go to school. You just work for the school. And it's like, we're so far away from it then, what's the point of even doing it?
1: My sense of it, and it's hard to predict these things, Cole, my sense of it is no, we won't get there. And that's where the federal government might be able to come in with Charlie Baker trying to be aggressive here and, and and really push the envelope on on what college athlete athletics has been, sure. he's, he's putting some things out there that were, you know, that were taboo before. But I think if you give a little, if even a lot, that's where maybe you can get some protections from the federal government that say, okay, we're going to create a unique structure here where they aren't employees, but they have a lot of rights and they have the ability to get some money. So, I think it will stop short of that. That would be my guess. Don't hold me cool. to it. Too. Great stuff. Ralph, always appreciate you, man. Thanks, Cole. All right. That's Ralph Russo, of the AP,
0: talking about college football playoffs.